world's becoming a dangerous place for us women. Lipstick Bodyguard looks just like an innocent little lipstick, but it'll instantly drop any attacker to his knees so you can get away unharmed. Lipstick Bodyguard. Fear no evil. Get yours today only at LipstickBodyguard.com. up this week on Parents Are Hard to Raise. Dr. Jennifer Olson, Executive Director of the Rosalind Carter Institute for Caregiving, is here to share some of the amazing resources they offer for family caregivers like us. Join 180 million monthly subscribers who can now listen to Parents Are Hard to Raise on Spotify. Welcome to Parents Are Hard to Raise, helping families grow older together without losing their minds. I'm elder care expert Diane Berardi. In America today, more than 50 million family caregivers provide care for their aging parents, as well as for adults and children with disabilities and chronic illnesses. Add to that the vast number of newly returning service members and veterans and their family caregivers who are struggling with the challenges of their injuries both physical and emotional, and you can see the makings of a real public health crisis. That's where the Rosalind Carter Institute for Caregiving comes in. The Institute is part of Georgia Southwestern State University. It was established in 1987 in honor of former First Lady Rosalind Carter, herself a family caregiver, a GSW alumna, and who serves as president of the Institute's Board of Advisors. The Institute provides education, training, resources, research, and community-based programs to help support and strengthen family and professional caregivers. Joining us this week is the Institute's Executive Director, Dr. Jennifer Olson. Dr. Olson is a globally recognized expert in epidemiology. With a list of credentials so long, it would take the rest of the show just to list them. So I'll give you the cliff notes. She holds degrees from Rutgers University, the George Washington University, and the University of North Carolina. In addition to her extensive work with the United States government, helping to keep the rest of us safe from harm, she has worked with public health organizations and governments around the world. She spends her time as an advisor to the National Academy of Medicine and is a TED-Med research scholar, searching out experts involved in cutting-edge research projects to bring them to the TED-Med stage. The first question I'm going to be asking her is, when does she find time to sleep? <laughs> Jennifer, welcome to Parents Are Hard to Raise. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you as a guest to speak to us about this wonderful organization, the Rosalind Carter Institute for Caregiving. So can you tell us what your organization does? So, as you mentioned, we started 31 years ago when Mrs. Carter left the White House um, during the time of her campaigning for uh, with President Carter. And even before that, she had constantly heard of the need and the challenges of caregivers, whether it was a disabled child, a 
ill a relative with a mental health condition yeah um, a loved one and and realized that this was a a category of work that no one had put a kind of focus towards right um and so some people referred to her as the first lady of caregiving and we see that as a as an indicator of her pioneering role in this work yeah she uh has led us in taking different approaches to bringing research right out of medical journals into a practical approaches uh, so that family caregivers can learn from and build their own skills in caregiving. We say here that nobody went to school to be a caregiver. You're right. <laughs> you know, you didn't, you don't learn that um, somewhere in your, in your uh, growing up or um, in your degrees. You learn it often on the job. On the job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you learn it um, kind of as you're suddenly dropped in in a lot of circumstances to that role. So we've been working over this time to build programs and training to help people as they learn those new skills. Yeah, you know, it's so true. Family caregivers, they've received little training on how to deliver care. I can't tell you how many people say, my mom's coming out of the hospital and I, no one told me what to do. I don't know what to do. And they're, a lot of times they're not even treated as a partner in the care or encouraged to be able to learn or, or train. And so many of them want to learn and want to know what to do. That's right. And even when um, the caregiver gets some education, it's often about maybe the physical aspects of providing that care, but it isn't about the caregiver taking care of themselves or recognizing the challenges right. they're personally going to deal with. Yeah, they don't know because right. it's like, okay, I'm going to take care of mom. You know, she's coming out of the hospital and they don't realize, yeah, the toll it, it can take on someone unless they take care of themselves. That's right. So we've um, been looking at all of the mental and physical health challenges that caregivers experience as a result of this, this new role that they take on, um, sometimes for years or decades at a time. Right. And, and thinking about, you know, is there a, is in some ways caregiving kind of a risk factor that it, it means you're more likely to experience diabetes or sleep deprivation or depression and, and if so, you know, when you go into the doctor, the doctor doesn't say to you, are you taking care of someone at home? Right. Are you, you know, are you, let me ask you about your personal circumstance, which might put you at risk for some, some health issues. So trying to engage caregivers in, in educating about their own role and what they can do to stay as healthy and as, as, as well as possible um, over those many years. And your organization supports both professional and family caregivers. That's right. I think a bulk of the conversations are to, and training that we've come up with is to help professionals who are in that caregiving role right. recognize, like, not only that they're interacting with a patient, but they're interacting with a caregiver, um, and the caregiver needs some love and attention as right. well. right. Yeah. I had told a story on one of our shows about a daughter wheeling in her mom into a doctor's office and she you can tell that she's tired and depressed and she's not taking care of herself and no one even notices her, you know, right. and, and you see that very often. 
And I, I think that's just a, an, a challenge um, of awareness in a lot of ways that um, we notice this, especially with our veteran caregivers. They say that the veteran will often get kind of a, an indication, a, a thank you for your service or a, how are you doing? Yeah. Um, and the caregiver will be sitting right next to them Aww. and they're, they're serving as well, um, right. but in a different way. So how to engage people around knowing that population exists. And that's so important. That really is. And the awareness, letting everyone know, letting the public know. My mom was just, you know, recently diagnosed with um, pancreatic cancer. And I have recently become, uh, and, and really just a part-time caregiver. You, you know, my dad is there with her and I'm just, I mean, I'm talking to her, you know, numerous times a day and she's about two hours away from me and I'm up there at least twice a week. She has to go for chemo, et cetera, you know, and it's not only you're tired, you know, because you're still, you're doing your job. You have to go to work. There's so many people, you know, who have jobs and their, their parents maybe don't live nearby. And then the emotional toll, you don't realize what people go through. And I think that the the challenges are growing. So I think it's around 60% of family caregivers are also working. Right. Um, and, that's, and that's both working near their loved one or having to travel a distance or having to do distance caregiving, um, trying to contact doctors or set up care when you're states away. Oh, gosh. Which is, I mean, I think there's there's different kinds of challenges that are coming into the caregiver space and we always think of, I think people get a mental image of a caregiver as a, as a, you know, older woman, maybe brushing an older man's hair. It's a very kind of yeah. traditional image, right. um, but, but caregiving is changing um, and, and caregivers, caregivers, everybody you look around, they, they are in some ways potentially caregiving, but you don't know because it's in their own home. Right. It's part of their, part of their day. So. Now, does the Institute specialize in particular areas of caregiving? So we currently have two major focus areas. The first is Alzheimer's and dementia caregiving with, again, an attention on that caregiver's well-being and self-care. Yeah. And the second is veteran and military caregivers where we're working um, to help a whole caregiver family. So uh, a small child who is helping out with some caregiving because their parent uh, or relative came home from uh, military with different types of injuries uh, requires kind of a, a delicate approach to yeah. a new, you know, you go to school as a small child and you come home and you have you have to worry about your mom or dad wow. and how they're doing that day. Yeah. Um, so I think we we have those two areas of focus, um, which has come out of I think kind of our constant evolution towards what are what are the big areas where we can work. We've had previous focus on cancer caregivers, on rural uh, caregivers in rural settings, okay. um, because there are some different challenges there about isolation and lack of resources or distance to resources, um, and and some about uh, work on multi-generational caregivers. So if you're caring for both uh, a parent and a child at wow. the same time. Yeah. 
So yeah, plenty of areas of need um, as we as we look in this space and continue to see what's coming. Yeah, my gosh, you know, you don't even realize the example you set a child, you know, with a parent coming home from the military, you know, coming home mm-hmm. from Afghanistan. I, it's things that we're not even thinking about. Yeah, I heard um, I was speaking to a family and they spoke about how their child um, will recognize when they go to a restaurant where the parent has to sit um, because of their need to see a doorway or see an entryway. And it made me think about how our everyday activities um, are so different when you're a caregiver. I heard your description of bringing your mom to Bed Bath & Beyond, I think it was. (laughs) And... uh, (laughs) And it just further reinforced that idea of like everything, everything that you think of as as a simple-ish task. Yes. Um, if you're caregiving, has has a lot of other complications, um, and and you have to be kind of planning for A, B, and C, and and that means maybe you don't remember to to eat your lunch or to you know take your medicine or right. to do anything. Yeah. Yeah, so. you're right. Oh my gosh, I know there's things you just don't even think about. <laughs> That's right. Uh, And so we have been working towards this for some time. We're going to continue talking to Dr. Jennifer Olson, Executive Director of the Rosalind Carter Institute for Caregiving. But first, I want to tell you something. If you're a woman or there's a woman in your life, there's something you absolutely need to know. I want to tell you about my friend Katie. Katie is a nurse, and she was attacked on her way home from work. She was totally taken by surprise. And although Katie is only 5 feet tall and 106 pounds, she was easily able to drop her 6 foot 4, 250 pound attacker to his knees and get away unharmed. Katie wasn't just lucky that day. She was prepared. In her pocketbook, a harmless looking lipstick, which really contained a powerful man-stopping aerosol propellant. It's not like it was in our grandmother's day. Today, just going to and from work or to the mall can have tragic consequences. The FBI says a violent crime is committed every 15 seconds in the United States, and a forcible rape happens every five minutes. And chances are, when something happens, no one will be around to help. It looks just like a lipstick, so no one will suspect a thing, which is important since experts say getting the jump on your attacker is all about the element of surprise. Inside this innocent-looking lipstick is the same powerful stuff used by police and the military to disarm even the most powerful armed aggressor. In fact, National Park Rangers use the very same formula that's inside this little lipstick to stop 2,000-pound vicious grizzly bears dead in their tracks. It's like carrying a personal bodyguard with you in your purse or your pocket. Darkness brings danger. Muggers and rapists use darkness to their advantage. We all know what it's like to be walking at night and hear footsteps coming at us from behind. Who's there? If it's somebody bad, will you be protected? Your life may depend on it. My friend Katie's close call needs to be a wake-up call for all of us, myself included. Pick up a lipstick bodyguard and keep it with you always. Were you ever young? You're listening to Parents Are Hard To Raise. Now, thanks to you, the number one elder care talk show on planet Earth. Listen to this and other episodes on demand using the iHeartRadio app. iPhone users can listen on Apple Podcasts and Android users on Google Podcasts. 
want a great new way to listen to the show? Have an Amazon Echo or Dot? Just say, Alexa, play Parents Are Hard to Raise podcast. Getting the latest episode of Parents Are Hard to Raise. Here it is from iHeartRadio. It's as simple as that. You're right, Dolly. There are so many really cool new ways to listen to our show. It's hard to keep track. You can join the 180 million listeners on Spotify. You can listen in your car, at the gym, or pretty much anywhere on your smartphone with Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. You can get us on Apple TV, DirecTV, Roku. And like Dolly said, you can even ask Alexa to play the show for you. It's great because you don't have to be tied to a radio anymore. You can listen when you want, where you want, for as long as you want. And if you're listening to the show in one of these new ways, please do me a big favor. Please share this new technology. Help someone else learn about the show and show them a new way to listen. Jennifer, I wanted to let you tell our listeners about the different programs at the Rosalind Carter Institute for Caregiving. Sure. Our, one of our primary programs is Operation Family Caregiver, which is a program geared towards military and veteran families, including guard and reserve families and caregivers, so that they can build skills related to problem solving over a six, like a six session coaching. We do this because it's not as though there's a very specific set formula for what a caregiver is going to go through or what kinds of skills they need to build. They need to be able to kind of constantly adapt with their care recipient and with their family. Uh, And so we have built this program, which has shown proven reductions in depression and physical health issues in the caregivers, as well as reduced anxiety in the children in the household. And so we're really excited about this approach um, and think it actually could apply to a number of other caregiver types um, as people are taking on caregiving in a more family way as they need to. Uh, So that program has been around for, I think, four years now, and we are expanding it to be on site at some of the veteran administration buildings across the country. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. The second major category of work we do, programmatic work, is dealing with dementia. This is a program um, very much, as I said, about communication styles and approaches, ways to engage with your care recipient, your loved one as a caregiver, as well as aspects of self-care and approaches to recognizing your, your role in that caregiver, in that caregiver role that you've taken on. And this we have is an extensive guide and a training class, a set of training classes that goes with that. What we've learned is that much like any other kind of class you go to, yeah. you could listen, you could listen and it'd be, you'd pay attention to some parts and you wanted to others. Um, so we've worked on building tips and additional items that somebody can look at when they realize, oh, I should have paid attention to that part. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> as, as any adult, you know, kind of kind of there um, in our distracted world. So we're, right. we're continuing to evolve that. And we have another program for our Alzheimer's and dementia caregivers, which is uh, called REACH. And I think of that a little bit as um, couples counseling. 
Oh. It's helping both the caregiver and the care recipient to work together um, in their new their new normal. Now that's um, great. Yeah, because I think that we um, we make it seem we kind of give a caregiver a bunch of training, and we say you just you just go home and do this. This will right. this will work. Um, <laughs> but but I think by having somebody in that kind of counselor coaching that's talking to both parties, they can understand the challenges a little bit better um, and help help both sides in whatever their struggles are. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's wonderful. It's true because you can give all this advice and say, okay, yes, that's what you have to do. But you know, then you have, you have their partner. <laughs> you know? That's right. That's right. Right. <laughs> uh, we also have a program called with the Benjamin Rose Institute uh, care consultation program, which is, provided in Georgia where we're based as a way for people to go through a very intensive approach to safety and well-being for the care recipient um, and to kind of go through what services might be needed to help with navigation for that caregiver and that care recipient. I mean, that that program goes over the course of a year. So I think there's that's pretty extensive. and unusual in that regard. Uh, and then our last is a, a set of modules called Caring for You and Caring for Me, which is just kind of a broad, any kind of caregiver needs some help with that self-care, that uh, recognition of their own well-being and how it's being impacted, um, just even some recognition of changes in their emotions or their temper because of the added burdens that the yeah. caregiver is taking on. So, um, and we're kind of thinking now about how do we move some of this content to uh, more and different formats. So as our caregivers are changing in age or their comfort with, whether it be technology right. or, their, <laughs> yeah, or, their, or their desire for um, smaller sessions, you know, people don't want to sit for a two-hour class. Right. Okay. Anymore. Um, and yeah. how do we... How do we package things into into more bite-sized pieces, um, but still make them valuable? Yeah, that is a real challenge with an older person who isn't tech savvy. That is a caregiver. That's right. And most of the caregiving kind of technology and apps are based on helping a caregiver kind of do the tasks of caregiving. Um, and so we're we're trying to recognize that uh, people need to learn how to do the tasks of being a caregiver right. um, while also learning that they are in a new a new role um, yeah. and it means different things. Yeah, that's that's the whole thing. You know, it, it is. It's and many times the role is it just comes out of nowhere. We say that all the time. It does. That's right. And we and we realize that people um, now may be you might be a caregiver and then there might be a circumstance that changes. And then five or 10 years later, you might be a caregiver for, for a different circumstance. Right. Um, so it's, it's not a one-time experience. Uh, we also think about this with our, um, especially some of the younger uh, veteran caregiver families, that those individuals might be a caregiver for decades of, of time. Yeah. And so, and so the, the challenges and the approaches, which are very much like, Oh, here's a, here's some skills you can build as if it's, you know, they're on a short-term journey. Right. It's not the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have clients, you know, who have a parent with dementia or, and it's been seven years, eight years, and it's a long time. And then 
that parent passes away and then their other parent has an illness, you know, mm-hmm. so they're just being beat. It's just one after another. It's amazing. I look at people and I say, my gosh, people are strong. Mm-hmm. And you say, okay, you can do this and they're doing it. But we don't realize all the ramifications of it, you know, what happens to them. I know with my mom, I was just going to the hospital. She was admitted to the hospital, you know, taking her to the doctor. Um, I don't know if you heard, you know, she had had a cold. And then I said to her, you have to go to the doctor. Yeah. And she had him going out because she had this cold. And she kept saying, oh, I can't get rid of it. And I said, Ma, you have to go to the doctor. And then she went to the doctor and she said, oh, the doctor took blood work. And the doctor said, I'm uh, jaundice. And I'm like, you're jaundice, you know. And mm. so I said, she said, yeah. And then I have to go for um, an ultrasound and then I have to go back to the doctor. And I said to her, well, I'm going to come with you, you know, take you to that next doctor's appointment. And so when I went up and she answered the door, I mean, she was yellow. And I said, Mom, you're you know, you're yellow. Am I? (laughs) And my dad is there and I go, Dad, she's yellow. Is she? (laughs) And I'm saying, oh, my gosh. You know, and just from running back and forth. And then she went into the hospital and they had to put a stent in the common bile duct. And then she was back in the hospital for a biopsy. And I got sick. I I just caught this cold. Mm -hmm. And I think it took three weeks and it finally went away. And then, bam, it just came back. So you don't realize the toll it's taking on you. Yeah, uh, we've been talking about this idea that a caregiver, you know, probably like isn't going for their flu shot or any of those preventive right. things they're supposed to do. They're not, um, they're not maybe refilling their medication like they're supposed to or eating as well as they're supposed to. Yeah. And so we think about all these like health behaviors, the things you know you're not supposed to do. You're not supposed to have that uh, that cheeseburger or right. in the South, your fried chicken, but you, but you do, and you realize, oh, this wasn't the smartest choice. But we don't think about caregiving like that. That like this is a every day you're you're yeah. doing things that are going to impact your own health. Um, and so that's one of the areas that um, in my now fourth month here, I think about a lot, which is <laughs> that, that there are population level. Uh, changes that we can think about um, to engage and recognize this is a, a public health problem, not a individual in your own household problem. Right, right. What needs do you anticipate caregivers will have in the future? I think there's a, a category around the fact that we have still a very kind of traditional family view of caregiving. Yeah. Um, that it's that it's often the right, the daughter or or a spouse. Um, but as families change and caregivers and care recipients move farther, there are other family approaches or other friend approaches that are needed for caregivers. Okay. And I don't know that our society has kind of recognized that a caregiver isn't always gonna gonna look like or be the this right. relative um, and so our, our kind of approach to, oh, you'll just, you'll just take care of your mom or dad because that's what you're supposed to do yeah. um, is, is going to, is going to evolve, which means that there are many people who will be kind of silent caregivers in the future. Cause they'll be like, oh, like, this is weird. I'm not going to talk about the fact that I'm taking care of my ex mother-in-law, right? Like, I mean, yes. these are reality. It is reality. Um, and so part of, I think, the, the biggest issue that we look at is that caregivers, the number is growing and the challenges are growing, um, but 
but it seems like we're not doing very much to elevate the the recognition um, for I have a caregiver. And I always think about this when when you know a friend has a has a baby or um, has a has an exciting life event or or has a rough life event. You kind of have a playbook in your mind of culturally what you're supposed to do. Right. But when somebody says to you that they're a caregiver, yeah, <laughs> we all just kind of are like, oh, that's tough. And then what, what am I supposed to do? Uh, right. Yeah, you're right. You're, you're I don't I don't send a, I don't send flowers. Right. I, I don't I don't know what to talk to you. You seem like you can never talk anymore. What do I what what what's my position here? How do I, yeah. how do I engage? Um, and I'm I'm worried about that from a societal standpoint. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm getting a um, signal here. We're running out of time. Uh, Jennifer, would you come back? Because I'm sure there is so much more we can talk about. We would love to have you back. I would love to. Uh, as I said, it's only month four, so I will learn. <laughs> oh, this, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you got something out of this episode, episode 94. I know I did. I love getting your emails and questions, so please keep sending them. Parents are Hard to Raise is a Counterthink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Our New York producer is Joshua Green. Our broadcast engineer is Well Gambino. And from our London studios, the melodic voice of our announcer, Miss Dolly D. Thank you so much for listening. Jennifer, how do people find out about the different programs at the Rosalind Carter Institute for Caregiving? Uh, RosalindCarter.org. Our website lists everything we do. Perfect. Thank you so much. Till next time, may you forget everything you don't want to remember. And remember everything you don't want to forget. See you again next week.